Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and I am excited to welcome my next guest, the editor-in-chief of Up Magazine. They're an art journalist based in NYC who has a passion for travel, art, and literature, and who has written for several art publications, including Sold, uh, Global Street Art, and Arte Fuse. Um, Up Magazine, its current project, is an NYC-based publication that focuses on street art, graffiti, and creative urban culture. Please welcome TK Mills. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on and um and, and making the time. And I'm just glad we were able to chat a little bit. You know, sometimes that that opportunity to chat before the actual on-page interview, those are missed. And it kind of gives a little bit better of a richer feeling for the conversation. Oh, totally. Because you know, there's it's like business talk too. You know, there's always like the preamble before you actually get into things. You gotta have to, you know, chit chat. It's like it's like the appetizer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the meal. The appetizer is good though. Sometimes those appetizers are not the best. <laughs> Sometimes it looked good and you're like, yeah, my appetizer ruined. <laughs> like here's like some warm nuts with a zest of lime. It's like I didn't that's bar food. I didn't want that. Yeah. So <laughs> You know, starting off, like I, I like to do sort of the the origin story. Some people have the the villain origin story. I like to get to the creative origin story. So, you know, for you, what is your origin story as it relates to creativity? You know, you have the writing background, you know, you're covering like art, street art, things of that nature. So if you will, could you share a bit of that? Yeah, sure. Um, it's funny because my my origin story, I, I like to think it's a good story, but it's sort of uh, atypical in that I wasn't really a creative person. Like I wasn't a creative kid, didn't draw. I, I like to read, but I didn't really, you know, I didn't write. I didn't really, I played guitar, but I was like, you know, one of those people that like I learned a couple chords and, you know, when it took effort to like really get into it, I kind of you know put it to the side. So I, I wasn't too creative really growing up, um, but I kind of had found you know, something I had gotten into in college was I got into politics. Um, I studied political science, and international affairs in my undergrad. Um, and I really liked it because I really liked traveling and I really liked learning and learning about people. So that was kind of where my interests were. Um, and then in between undergrad and grad school, I went to Thailand and I got a job teaching English. Um, and after my contract ended, I spent like six months uh, like backpacking around Southeast Asia, which was a lot of fun. And then I moved back to New York City, um, you know, for grad school. And I got my degree in transnational security. Uh, and originally, my sort of life plan was I was thinking of going to work for the State Department, uh, you know, because I thought diplomacy was what the world needed. And I felt that I could help and, you know, whatever. Um and that kind of got trashed uh, circa 2016 with the, that presidential election. Um, and it was a lot of things. It wasn't just Trump, though, that was a major part of it. It was sort of like I had spent, you know, at this point, like six, seven years studying something. And you, you had like the beginning of where Twitter sort of just became like the public discourse. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a shouting match. And I... I don't know. I came to see it as a sort of a cesspool and really toxic. And I kind of had this moment where I was like, this isn't actually what I want to do anymore. Plus, uh, Trump also slashed the funding for the State Department. So they stopped hiring right as I was graduating. Um, but so I um, I had this moment in the beginning of 2017, right, as the transition was happening from Obama to Trump, uh, where Obama had opened up travel to Cuba 
And Cuba is a place I've always admired. I've always wanted to go. One of my favorite writers is Hemingway, who has a lot of work kind of based around Cuba. So I'm like, I got to go. It's the only time I'm going to get a chance. I'm going to go. So I went and I got uh, I was down there for like, you know, five, six weeks, just kind of backpacking around. And it wasn't really like I had a plan or anything. I just knew I wanted to go and I had some time and I had some money saved up for my research job. So I was like, I'm going to go to Cuba and kind of, you know, see what happens. And while I was down there, I was kind of spent a lot of time soul searching. Um, like, you know, if I'm not going to do this thing that I've now spent, you know, years of my life and a stupid amount of money on, what am I going to do? And, you know, it's funny. Hemingway, I had visited. Uh, there's like a bar out there. I think the Florida. I might be misremembering that. But it's like a bar he apparently uh, frequented. And, you know, they got a bunch of tourist stuff for it. But I went there. and I was like, you know. I always liked the idea of being a writer, but I had never really written anything outside an academic context. And so I was like, while I'm here, uh, I'm going to write something. And, you know, if I can get it published, I'll pursue being a writer. And so I kind of I ended up writing a couple stories. But the one that's sort of important for the context of up is um, I wrote this one. There's this one tag I saw all around Havana. It was two plus two equals five, which. I recognize as a reference to George Orwell's 1984, you know, uh, and I, I kept seeing it and it like really just like struck me in a way that I hadn't been hit by a piece before. And I was like, I got it. I got another story behind this. And so that was kind of the thing. And so I spent like a, a week or two just trying to track this guy down. I literally had a map of the city and I was like marking where I found his uh, <laughs> different tags. And I was like asking people and, you know, people weren't really giving me a lot of info um but i it was funny actually right before i was about to give up this one night i was out and uh they have a lot of open art studios which is basically like you know they have just artists have a studio and anyone can come in and so i wander into this art studio and uh you know and there i see the tag i'm like oh my god so i go up to one of the artists i'm like do you know who does that and they're like oh that's I'm not gonna i, I guess i could say his name is fabian uh he's like he's right over there and i was like oh shit okay so then you know, I ran up to the guy and uh, I had actually been out drinking. So I was like a little drunk and I was like, I found you. And this guy's giving me a look like, OK, um, but no, it ended up being cool. He was a really nice guy. I sat down with him. He like offered me a bite of his tuna sandwich. And uh, it's funny because I speak, you know, un poquito and uh, he didn't really speak that much English. So we kind of did it like half English, half Spanish. Um, and you know, my, my girlfriend at the time was Argentine. So she, when I got back, helped me translate a lot of it, but yeah, so I ended up, uh, interviewing him, put the story together. And then, you know, that, uh, I just submitted it to every place I could and ended up getting published in this, uh, London street art blog. Um, and like, it was like, it like went viral on their site and I was like, oh, wow, that's like the first thing I've ever had published. And you know, people really liked it. I was like, super cool. And it was like a, a huge confidence boost for me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with that, though, it was funny, because I lived in Bushwick at the time, uh, which is sort of Brooklyn's street art neighborhood. And, you know, I'd always like appreciated street art and graffiti. But it kind of been like visual white noise, like, you know, you look at it, but you don't really see it. Yeah. And after that, I, I started to really see it. And I was like, you know, maybe I can kind of do a little bit of art journalism. And so from there, uh, I started, you know, um, like just going to art shows and starting to get into the scene. And then I kept freelancing for a couple of years um, and then eventually started up. And so that's kind of the, the you know, the origin story in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, so it, it was it was a fun time. And it was like one of those things that, um, you know, 
really helped propel me both in a, the creative sense um as well as in the sort of sorry my dog is like going crazy down the hall um and so um yeah so sorry it's just like you hear the barking it's maddening um yeah so so that was kind of it so that's kind of how i got into writing uh as well as getting into art sort of at the same time and so from there you know i've, I've made a lot of connections i you know i've been in that was like 2017 so you know at times so all sort of a blur but sort of been around it for like six seven years now yeah um and it's been great thank you um that you know see see here's the thing it's like it's like you're playing darts and you're just hitting different parts of the board. That's what you did with my questions right there. You knocked out like three or four of those questions. Right there. So <laughs> shout out to you. Um, but, but I did have this, this, this other one um, that, that relates. Um, so in, in sort of taking, taking that, 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 that time, right. And kind mm -hmm. of visiting a different place, change of scenery and coming back with sort of new eyes, being in Cuba, coming back and then seeing, you know, this sort of white noise as like, Oh no, 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 there's, there's something there. Yeah. I had that I had that recently in I like New Orleans, right? I oh, like yeah. to go down there. I love New Orleans. I go down there for my birthday usually. And I hadn't been down there in a couple of years, you know, pandemic and all. And I was like, I don't know about the South yeah. on the pandemic. I don't know about that. And in going down there, I'm seeing things in a very different way through this sort of cultural and arts non-touristy lens. And I usually don't yeah. look at things touristy, but from that standpoint, I think we relate in that way of mm. you go to a place, you see things from, from sort of from a different perspective. And then when you're kind of re-dipped and re-immersed in it that's around you, you see things in a much different way. Mm. Do and, and with your love of like traveling, is that a piece of it that you kind of insert regularly to kind of have these sort of respites and, you know, travel and kind of like seeing and appreciating art, whether it be street art or otherwise in a different way? Oh, totally. Uh, that has actually become a big part of my travel. Uh, I I used to travel a lot more, you know, a little something happened a year or two ago that kind of uh, kept me closer to home. Um, but no, yeah, I now whenever I go to a city, I always try and find like their neighborhood. And I, I find in almost every major city, there is like a neighborhood or a block that's like kind of like where the murals are at. Mm -hmm. And so I always love to go and check it out and try and, you know, say hello to local artists. Um, but yeah, well, even before getting into street art, you know, one of the things I used to do when I would travel is, um, you know, again, being a reader, uh, I would always try and read books either set or written by authors from the place I was traveling to. Um, and that was always kind of like a fun way of kind of getting a, a, a certain lens to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with street art in particular, you know, what's interesting is it really is something super global. Uh, yeah. And so it's cool because it's even like some artists I've met that now I know in other cities and like, I can come through and it's like, Oh, you know, you got a couch to crash on or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. there was actually, um, it didn't happen this year, but there had been an annual art festival down in Mexico, down in Akamal. Um, yeah. and Akamal is kind of like a smaller, smaller town. Uh, it's, it's in between Cancun and Tulum. So people tend to just breeze by it. Um, but it's really beautiful and they got a great story. Um, but yeah, it's funny cause they had this international art festival and, you know, they had a lot of artists from like the UK, a lot from Europe, some from South America, the artists from all over Mexico. And, you know, it's fun cause then you, you like meet them and then like, yeah, like you'll be traveling somewhere and you're like, Oh, you know, are you around or, Oh, Hey, could you you know put me in the direction of some people I should talk to? And it's really cool because it, it is a very global community. And so I feel like even though I kind of shifted from travel being my first love to sort of street art being my first love, yeah. they're still very interconnected. I dig that. And 
I've, I've had two instances like recently to do a little travel, like, um, when I'm doing these interviews, mm. um, you know, I'm Baltimore based, but you know, I've been doing a series of interviews because I think place is important. So I'll go up there, I'll commute up there to Philly, do a couple of interviews, come back down, day trip. And I remember the first time I went up there for this ser- ser- sort of intentional series of interviews, mm-hmm. I saw the work of a, a sort of um, a like you you can't recognize they, they're they hide their um, identity. Um, so this sort of anonymous uh, contention of artists uh, mm-hmm. that do the street art and call Ms. Icar. So racism spelled backwards. Oh, and interesting. I yeah. get off the train and I'm walking and I was like, that's Ms. Icar work. And I just took a picture <laughs> of it and sent it. And I was like, I'm in your city. I see your work. And it was like a really cool, cool moment. Or even when almost a year ago, no, actually it was last June. So a couple months from now, but I was in Nashville Mm-hmm. And I was just going to a coffee shop because I'm always looking for pretentious coffee. And <laughs> it's next to sort of this 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 um, this art space. I think it was a gallery. I wasn't quite sure because it was a little obscured. But I saw one of the images there and it was from an artist that I interviewed that's D.C. based. Uh-huh. And I recognized their work immediately. Yeah, that's always a, a cool moment. Yeah. So being able to sort of travel and I haven't done internationally, but you definitely have sold me on Cuba because I want to go. I mean, I like a media noche, the whole thing, you know, let's just make yeah, a thing. Let's just make it happen. Yeah, it's um, I don't know what the rules are for Americans going to Cuba anymore, because, again, certain president, I think, kind of got screwed with it. But mm-hmm. honestly, it's one of the most beautiful pe- places I've been. Beautiful people, beautiful art, really interesting history, because that's the other thing. Whenever I traveled, I would get, I was really like I was like a hif- history buff. So I got really yeah. into like, yeah. Um, I, that's a whole tangent, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely worth a visit. This is this is the first and maybe first of the the sort of punish questions. So, what's Go. up? What up? Uh, can you tell us a bit about Up Magazine's mission? And you know, we we kind of started off a little bit in talking about like you know how how it was founded and all of that. But talk a bit about the mission and really what you hope your publication does within the whole larger conversation around art, specifically street art. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like, you know, it's funny, I can kind of build on the origin story to kind of contextualize that because again, it's the up origin story and mine are sort of related, but also their own thing. So after I kind of had that Cuba trip, uh, I spent a couple of years freelancing. Um, and actually, you know, one of my other favorite writers is Hunter S. Thompson, um, who people know him for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but one of his other big books is um, Hell's Angels. And the whole thing is he basically got in with the Hells Angels and rode with them for a year, learned about them, wrote about the culture, and kind of was able to present sort of an insider-outsider perspective on it. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. It's one of my favorites. And so with street art, that was originally my mentality is I like, all right, I'll get in. I'll kind of hang out with uh, some artists for a year and write a book about it. And, you know, five years later, I'm still in. But so I was freelancing for a couple of years, um, you know, like starting in 2017, uh, in 2018, 2019. Um, and, you know, one of the problems I had freelancing amongst others is that, you know, a lot of the stuff I wanted to write uh, was not getting picked up by editors. A lot of the art magazines I was talking to, they were all more focused on sort of the gallery world. And I had more than one kind of like, don't bother with street art, there's no future in it, you know, whatever. And I was like, well, this is what's cool to me. And like, you know, you're paying me pennies, if paying me at all. So this is what I want to do. Um, but, so, you know, I, I was kind of, uh, you know, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Please. Okay. I was kind of bitching and moaning to a mentor of mine one day uh, about all this. And he's like, well, why don't you start your own magazine? And I was like, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of work. And uh, I was <laughs> right. It it has been a lot of work. Um, but that was kind of where the idea kind of began. 
And so, you know, I I kind of eventually came around on it. And at the time, I reached out the only other street art writer I knew, Victoria Benzine. And I was like, I'm thinking about Star Magazine. Would you be interested? And she's like, yeah, sure. And so then she brought in her friend, Christina. And then uh, Lonnie uh, was the other fourth founding member who was our photographer. And so up initially was just the four of us. Yeah. Um, and so this was like late 2018. And so we would like kind of get, we would meet my apartment. I lived on St. Mark's at the time. And uh, we would meet my apartment like every day, just sketching out the ideas for the magazine. We put together a game plan because uh, you know we want we knew we wanted to do print um, because to me print is what feels legit, mm-hmm. and because there had been a different magazine that was sort of a rival publication to us for a little bit that was online only, and it was kind of a way of being like you know we're gonna step our game up. Um, but yeah, so it was just the four of us, and we would literally meet in my apartment every single day for like probably you know four or five months till we we had the the finished manuscript and then we kind of hit you know well the next big challenges was uh funding the magazine uh which i hadn't considered at all um but you know we got to the point they were like all right well we need to pay for this and so had a bunch of uh meetings that you know all kind of blew up in my face one was uh you know our original sort of uh my mentor friend uh i thought he was going to be kind of our money guy and then he kind of backed out and then I met with some of my contacts from freelancing, uh, see if they'd be interested in investing. And they all were like, we love it. We love the concept. We love what you're doing. You know, but you guys are untested, unproven. You know, we're not putting money behind this. And so I was kind of put in this pinch where I was like, well, we've been working on this. I need to make this happen. And so, uh, you know, when I was younger, my parents had taken life insurance out uh, for me. And, you know, it accrues value over time. And they told me when I turned 18, they were like, uh, I'm 25, I'm 30 now, I was 25 at this point in time. But when I was 18, my parents were like, you know, like that life insurance money is yours, you should not touch it, you know, it'll be worth a lot of money when you're like 60, just leave it. But that was sort of the only, uh, you know, capital I had access to. So I ended up cashing in my life insurance, and it was like worth like $15,000. And then after taxes, it was worth like $11,000. Um, <laughs> but that was dumped it all into the magazine. That's how we printed the first issue. And yeah, we had the release party it was June 19th, 2019. And it ended up being this huge hit. Um, you know, like everyone in the community came out to support. We ended up selling out all the copies we printed. And it really kind of just like was this jump shot of adrenaline. Where I was like, okay, like maybe we can actually do this. Um and so, yeah, uh, you know, and in that kind of formation, getting back to kind of your question, yeah. you know, in those original sessions with the four of us, me, Vit, Stina, and Lonnie, you know, we had a, we were always asking ourselves, like, well, what is this magazine? Like, what do we want it to be? And, you know, we knew we wanted to focus on street art and graffiti in part because of the fact that, um, you know, it was a big part of something we were all interested in and something that wasn't really being covered. But we also knew we wanted to kind of focus not just on established artists, but artists that were sort of on the come up themselves. Yeah. Uh, again, there's endless puns of up. It, it's just part of our culture now that we we always run with it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, you know, we we knew we wanted to focus on because there's like a lot of other art magazines like, you know, say Juxtapose that would cover street art. But when they did, it was like Shepard Ferry or Banksy, and, you know, both incredibly talented artists, but they don't need the press. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. So we wanted to make sure that we kind of focused on people who were still, you know, establishing themselves. Um, we actually had 
uh, written a manifesto at one point that was kind of diving into all this. And, you know, after iterations of uh, editing, we eventually came down to sort of our, our little tagline, which uh, I don't have memorized, so I'm going to pull it up. Please. But uh, our mission is to provide the art community with nuanced, provocative, and critical writing that navigates the questions of our generation. We pride ourselves on serving our readers high-quality articles that investigate, inform, and entertain. Like good art, Up Magazine is made to make you think and make you feel. And so we, we do really stick true to that mission, though. Um, and part of that, too, is like we go we tend to go, especially with our print, we go really in depth with stories because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were a team of writers, really, more than anything. We weren't necessarily artists. We were writers and we wanted this is our subject matter that we want to write about. And so, you know, we wanted to kind of take it seriously and, and you know, really build out on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, over time, you know, we stay true to that kind of core sentiment, but we've really grown in sort of the different ways that that manifests. Yeah. Uh, we now have a website, uh, upmag.com. We have a yearly print. We had started originally, we wanted to do quarterly and then the pandemic kind of, mm -hmm. you know, you know, pushed that back and back. So now we've shifted sort of to, you know, doing at least once a year and this year we're aiming to get two print issues out. Uh, but we also do a lot of events. Um, we are soon to launch sort of uh, the business sub-brand up creative consulting. Um, you know, it's just sort of a way to sort of finance the magazine because as yeah. it turns out, print magazine is very expensive. Um, but yeah, we've really grown. But we do try and stay true to sort of that community ethos yeah. and, you know, staying tapped into obviously what's happening here with us in New York. But we've really tried to grow to other cities too. Uh, we've got some people out in L.A., um, we've got some people over in London. Uh, we've got a handful of people scattered around the globe in other places. Uh, not Baltimore, at least not yet. Um, but, uh, you know. Uh, 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 noble, mean, noble podcaster here in front of you. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think there's a lot we can build on there. But, yeah, so that's that's up uh, Up's mission. I hope that answered the question. Sorry, I was a little rambly. No, no, it absolutely did. And I and I think that there is sort of this this sort of connective thing. And one of the things that that stuck out is, you know, having sort of this mission of, yeah, you know, there are people who do really great work, but mm -hmm. they they don't necessarily need to press. They don't need, need that new they don't need that other blog or that other article about them. But maybe touching on someone who's emerging or someone that's about to pop on the scene or what have you, you know, that's kind of what I do with the podcast. And when yeah. when folks ask me like, how do you pick your guests? And I've really been on this wave recently of if it catches my attention, it's a reason it caught my attention. And, and it's, it's that. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that. Totally. So, you know, speak on like the, hmm, so I remember I had an, an interview with a, uh, a street artist here who has given me a very, very, very wild story about um, a, 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 the legality of street art. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit, like in, in covering street art in your, your publication, and mm -hmm. street art kind of being in this weird area of maybe dark gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so talk about that a little bit. Like what sort of considerations are made um, and just, you know, what are your thoughts around sort of the legality around it um, or the legality around it? Yeah. So I, I guess I, I'll start by kind of giving a little context. So yeah. a lot of people tend to use street art as sort of like the broad based term that every all the art that's in the streets, which. A lot of people do. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that how you choose to define something will be part of it. Um, but I do want to make a distinction that there's sort of a difference between street art and graffiti. Uh, and the way I, I like to compare it to people is, you know, um, they're they're like family, but they're like cousins. You know, they're related, but they're different. 
Um, and with up, we cover both. Uh, we tend to be a little bit more street art heavy, but we do do some graph. Like the talk I was doing earlier today was with a bunch of graph guys. Um, and you know, the distinction there is like street art tends to be a little bit more middle-class, a little bit more polished, a little bit more Mm -hmm. domesticated versus graph is, you know, a lot more raw, a little bit more, you know, really from the, the streets and sort of that sense, um, and, you know, it's funny, too, because it's also, I think, with that, there's, like, different approaches. You know, street art is a lot of focus on the visual art versus graffiti, uh, you know, especially, like, tagging and bombing. Uh, it, it's almost more of a sport than an art, necessarily, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't get that. Um, but to the illegality, you know, street art uh, kind of blurs that line because there's commission murals, you mm-hmm. know, there's businesses that pay for stuff. There's, you know, uh, cities sometimes that have funding that goes to pay for murals there's you know also um wheat pasting which is a form of street art where basically you have glue and you you know you slap it up and that's illegal but it's also illegal to with sort of like mm, you know it's it's again gray because you see especially in new york you know you go those all those uh construction scaffolding it post no bills all those ad companies are wheat pasting and that's illegal too right. but it's not like they're getting fined you know what i mean um and then there's sort of graph which is like you know, especially in the eyes of a lot of graffiti writers, they won't consider it graph unless it is legal. You know, where like doing it outside the bounds of the law is the point in and of itself. Right. Um, to me, I, I have love for it all. I actually feel like, especially lately, I've been drawn almost more to the graph side of things just because I find it really interesting. And a lot of people tend to write off graph as like, oh, it's just vandalism. And it's like, you know, it, I'd be lying if saying a lot of it isn't vandalism. You know what I mean? But it, it it has its it has its place, and it's like a lot of people don't realize there are sort of sort of unwritten rules of it too. You know, like amongst graph writers, even like there's certain code of conduct. Like you know, you don't tag mm-hmm. churches, you don't uh, you don't go after people's homes. You know, you notice a lot of the graph is tends to be on like either abandoned buildings or like warehouses. That it's like you know, it's not like it was going to be anything otherwise. Right. Um, but as to sort of the the legality of it, like, you know, we cover everything. I mean, as a journalistic publication, we had to sort of at times sort of skirt things just so we didn't get artists in trouble. Um, and so one of the one of our sort of policies is, you know, unless the artist says otherwise, we tend to refer to them by their art name, yeah. uh, you know, which oftentimes is also their Instagram handle these days. But, yeah, it, it's interesting because, like, there is that sort of graph for street art distinction. Um, and I think that's, you know. As some people use the umbrella term urban art, um, which, you know, works. It's just like street art, I think, is like a little catchier, which is why everyone calls it street art. Um, but, you know, there, there's levels to it. You know, there's stickers. That's yeah. street art. Uh, it's also still illegal. And I actually do know a couple people who unfortunately did get arrested for putting up stickers, which to me is like the silliest thing. But that is know. a cotton candy crime. What are we doing? Yeah. I love that term cotton candy crime. I, I might actually please do all that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And so, you know, in terms of our coverage, uh, we kind of try and keep a uh, mentality of like, you know, artists first, like we'll kind of defer to them for certain preferences. You know, <laughs> there was one artist I interviewed who was a graph writer and uh, they were super, super big on the anonymous thing because they happened to not only be doing a legal graph, but also happened to be here uh, legally. And so sort of the interview for them, you know, I, I, I really made an effort to like uh, sort of um, include as many vagaries to their identity as I could 
Um, and like even, um, you know, I had mentioned Fabian at first, I was kind of hesitant when I first interviewed him, he wasn't really out with his name, but these days he's become like a superstar in Cuba. So I, you know, he's had press written about him. I feel like it's not as big of a deal. Um, but yeah, I, I think kind of to the question of it, uh, I think a lot of people are like, well, it's illegal. I don't think the legality, you know, at least if street art broadly shapes it, I think there are a lot of people don't realize that there are sort of rules and, you know, there's also, I mean, there's also a lot of internal conflicts for that as well you know there's graph writers who go over murals you know mm-hmm. um but i think uh, a big sort of common thread between both street art and graffiti is uh respect and what qualifies earning respect and how you show respect to your fellow artists i dig that thank you yeah. um so let's see i got two more real questions one um one one is this one uh so how do you see sort of the, cause there's been a lot of talk about it and I'll put context to it before I really get to the question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about sort of the digital component. I, I, and I, and I find a lot of things are kind of best when they're analog. I mean, you, you have to use both. Like I run a print magazine. I get it. <laughs> so I, I, I still write down my questions sometimes in a notepad yeah. because I want to see what the thinking was that's underneath it versus just mm-hmm. this polished sort of refined. Oh, this is the final question. And I ran it through these filters and spell checked it. I like to keep the errors yeah. in there. So yeah. how do you see sort of the internet in their intersection between technology, street art, and like, how, do, how does that work? And how is it impacting sort of like, maybe street art being being covered being presented like talk about that sort of impact of augmented reality and technology when it comes to street art yeah so like anything there's layers to it you know um there's some artists who like incorporate qr codes into their mural yeah. uh there's actually some artists i've seen that like hand painted qr code which to me is just like technically super impressive right. and they'll like they'll link it to either some ar or they'll link it to their website and I've always kind of found that interesting, um, you know, and a lot of artists uh, who do murals also do, you know, they have an iPad and they work on Procreate or, you know, Illustrate or whatever. And they use that as a way to, uh, you know, do art when they're not painting in the streets. And so I think technology generally has a huge benefit. I think, um, excuse me, especially, you know, AI has become sort of a big craze of late. Mm-hmm. And even me as a writer of ChatGPT, there's a couple of times I'm like, this makes me uncomfortable. But <laughs> like anything, yeah, it's but it's like, but anything, it's a tool and it's how you choose to use it. Um, I think for creatives, you can use it. I know artists sometimes that use, um, uh, what's the big one? Not, I'm blanking on the name of it, but one of the, the, um, the AI generators, and they'll use it to build references for their yeah. own work, you know? Sure. Um, and they'll use it. I think I feel bad for certain digital artists where it's like it sort of has devalued their art because it's like, oh, you spent you know two days working on this and now this computer can generate in half a second. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certain scary implications for the commercial aspect where a lot of artists who sort of, you know, did commissions or worked off that. Now there is a cheaper alternative that's never going to, you know. Uh, and I think that kind of is scary, but again, it's like, I don't think that's the technology's fault itself. It's sort of the ways in which capitalism tends to warp things and, uh, mm-hmm. not always for the best. Um, but I think that, yeah, like anything, it's a tool, you know, and it's how you choose to use it. Um, you know, like my girlfriend, she started as, uh, someone who did a lot of her stuff in, you know, on her iPad and then it kind of as she got more confident, she started doing more murals and stuff. And, you know, she'll do a mock-up reference and then paint it. Or, you know what I mean? 
And so it's, it's again, it's kind of how you choose to use it. Um, and I've been to like certain technology art shows um, where there's a lot of augmented work or VR. And I think it's cool. I think there's something to it. I do think the problem I have with some of it, with it at times, sometimes people focus too much on the technology that they don't focus on the art. And then it's like, well, this is incredible conceptually what you're doing, but you know, visually this is kind of meh. You know what I mean? It it's it's one of those things like, you know, it this is technically technically sound, it has all of the things in it, but does it speak to me? Does it have something yeah. behind it? And some might say, it's gonna sound so corny, but I think it's accurate. What's the soul behind it? Like 100%. When, when you you listen to music sometimes, right? And you know, because I think there's always this this sort of conversation when you talk to people who are creative or appreciate creativity, you're able to make these sort of connections that often are missed. And yeah. I think, you know, I just remember it was one year I was looking at and I was like, when was I listening to and on a pulse of like new releases and it comes to music and things of that nature? And I was like, it's probably 2010, 2011. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be old man music, but you know, it's kind of that thing. I'm, I'm 38. So mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where like when did you know this sort of formula become a part of it when did this sort of same pitch creation cor- correction happened and why did it do the instrumental sound really good but they all sound alike and then you can see different apps different little tools if you follow reels long enough you can see mm-hmm. the secret sauce on how they do all of this stuff mm-hmm. and it's like i can hear something that sounds unpolished and quote unquote raw and has mm-hmm. that emotion to it i was like man this hits Oh, versus totally. something that you know is really well done but it is it's almost disposable yeah and i think that's exactly it it's not always about the technical mastery it's about the emotion behind it and you know i've talked to artists about this who sometimes find themselves in sort of the existential crisis of like i work so hard on this and this computer can do it in five seconds it's like yeah but they can't do you you know and it's like don't you shouldn't compare yourself to it and again I'm, I'm speaking i also have that existential crisis sometimes i mean yes both and you are you and i are in kind of the same similar age range where it's like we went from like you know you got your first home computer to now your computer is in your pocket at all times and you can't tap out of it no matter how hard you try right um but it's it's one of those things that i think it's like again it's it's a tool and I, I always come back to that because I think that's kind of the best way to to look at it because it's like it's how you use it and how you choose to experiment with it because there's also people who've done some really cool stuff you know I there's um, one artist I know who they like uh, basically had like synced up um, like drums mm-hmm. like little little drum pads and then put different like colors associated with it and then played music and that's like what created the painting and i thought that was like such a cool way to do it you know and so you know i think it's like don't let like, put your creativity first and make sure that you know it's something you're doing because even like it does it's not even always about technology too even like when you're painting you know there's as all artists you know it's unless you've got rich parents it's like there's work you do for yourself and there's work you got to do for the money for the hustle right. and right. um you know the hustle stuff may not have as much soul, but it's still got a bit of you in it. You know what I mean? It's still in the DNA. And so just not losing sight of kind of your passions with it, I think is key. That's well said, super important. And I've been on both sides of it, so I definitely get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this is the last sort of real question before I get to those rapid fire ones. Okay. Um, can you speak to the importance of diversity and representation when it comes to like street art and in the graffiti world and how, you know, Up Magazine approaches like these issues in this coverage? Oh, yeah, totally. So I think it's 
interesting um you know because obviously questions of diversity have kind of become a very prominent like part of modern culture which you know is for the best um i think with i guess there's kind of two ways to to look at this one sort of how the culture handles it and sort of how up handles it so i'll kind of start with the culture first sure um so it's funny actually lonnie had done an article in um our last issue uh about the history of graffiti and something I thought was really interesting is, you know, oftentimes graffiti, it tends to be associated more with people are black and brown, which, you know, obviously is sort of a, a general trait. But in its in its infancy, it wasn't about that. It was mostly it was about kids. I mean, like literal 12, 13 year olds were the ones who started tagging and like really made it a big thing. And it wasn't really a factor because of the fact that you didn't know who wrote that name. It was just about the name. You didn't know right. who made it. And like, I always thought that was like a really cool thing that it was like this total anonymity. You know, you just like you knew someone because you saw their name up in all the neighborhoods. Um, and I always thought that was sort of an interesting uh, element. Um, and I, I could actually I'll, I'll shoot you um, our last issue at some point. I'll, I'll mail you a copy Appreciate so you can it. check it out. Um, but yeah. I think how street art generally handles it. There are a lot of tensions, I think, with race at times. Um, I think in particular, uh, one of the things that, you know, tends to go hand in hand with street art, unfortunately, is gentrification. Um, and, you know, it's kind of that story and using, you know, my old neighborhood Bushwick as an example, where, you know, there's a neighborhood that tends to be on the outer boroughs or something, you know, and because of that, it's a little bit more affordable. Uh, and it tends to be a lot of, you know, working class uh families and then you know the artists move in because they can't afford to live anywhere else and you know they start making art because artists are cool the neighborhood suddenly becomes trendy you know they start painting murals you know more businesses sort of see the opportunity on that they capitalize mm -hmm. on it the rents go up and then eventually you know those working class families get priced out and then in due time the artists themselves also get priced out you know and that's kind of what happened to williamsburg i mean but uh, I think on the flip side of that, too, um, it's it's always it's not always such a clear cut narrative where it's like, you know, uh, like one thing or the other of gentrification, because it's also I, I think it also tends to sort of, you know, you look at like quality of life things, right? Like I've been in neighborhoods that, you know, people are like, I love this mural and like, I'm happy this is here. And like, you know, or especially in Brooklyn, there's so many like brooklyn pride murals and people are like i love that you know what i mean and it's like it adds character to a neighborhood you know and it adds like a certain flavor and distinction um but uh but yeah i mean you know it's it's a tension point that i think a lot of people have and it, it's not even just with uh sort of you know racial issues too a big thing is also um again i mentioned how street arts global there's a there is a certain territorial aspect mm -hmm. with painting at times where there was a big thing a um, couple years back. There's a in Bushwick. There's the Bushwick Collective. They're a major uh, sort of player. They have a lot of the walls in town, and they curate this big event every year. And they, you know they've become sort of their own institution. And you know I give props to Joe and everyone behind it with it. But with that, uh, as they got bigger, you know in the beginning they always had local artists painting and then once they got bigger they had people flying in from london they had people flying in from other cities and people were kind of like well what the hell this is new york you're not going to give it to new york artists you know um and so there's you know in any community and it is a, a big community and a particularly diverse community there's always sort of fault lines mm -hmm. uh and i think for the most part most artists are mature enough to to talk things out and kind of get it 
but you know, there are these kind of issues that flare up from time to time. And there's a lot of examples I could think of, but I don't want to like dwindle too much on it. Um, and then within up, you know, in terms of our coverage, uh, we we try and kind of go for like a holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, broadly speaking, you know, our coverage tends to be a mix of assignment and pitch. And so assignment is like, we're like, hey, this artist is, you know, super cool. We'll go to a writer's like, who wants to take on the story? And then pitch is sort of our writers will say like, hey, this artist is someone I like, or this is someone I think we should cover. Can I do this? Uh, and we're pretty open with that. You know, in and even like with up in itself as a team, like we've slowly grown a little bit more legitimate. We haven't quite gone corporate, as you can see. I'm still in my apartment. Um, but you know, we've had writers of every background, we've had photographers of different backgrounds, you know, and like in terms of both like race, in terms of economic background, in terms of you know, life perspective. So yeah. I've always tried to kind of keep sort of a holistic perspective with it. Um, obviously, you know, I am a straight white man and, uh, you know, there are times I've kind of caught in flack for that and I try and just own it. Like, you know, I, I am who I am and I'm not trying to push on anyone, any kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's also, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of times, you know, again, it almost, I think to me, when people go after graffiti and they are almost like oh well you know it's a black art and it's like you know in a sense yes it does come a lot of times from marginalized communities but it's also like it's sort of oversimplifying a really complex form because it's like there are some incredibly talented puerto rican artists there are you know there are artists of like a thousand different backgrounds who have contributed to it and i think you know broadly speaking people and and this is just you know the the way the world is in general people like simple narratives and the world mm-hmm. isn't simple life isn't simple yeah, i try really and kind of perspective of uh you know treat people uh as you want to be treated and you know be open to new things and you know new experiences and yeah i find that that kind of perspective has brought us a wide range of talent of various backgrounds and so you know in my mind it's like it's worked for us so far so kind of sticking with it um but yeah I dig that. And and thank you. And, and, and I think that there is a sort of, you know, kinship and alignment. And and, and, and it's funny because, you know, some of the, the DMs, because people don't like to, people like to be private with their sort of criticism yeah. of who you might cover and who you might not. And, mm-hmm. um, and and I and I I get it sometimes where it's like, oh, well, see, I thought this was a black podcast. It's like, no, it's a arts and culture podcast. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, I'm a black straight man, the whole the whole thing or what have you. But I was like, I have a diverse set of interests. And, you know, yeah. I want to have people that I think that move this thing along. And in addition, it's no sense. Like if I do a pitch, like I shot a pitch out there to you, would you want to be on this podcast? You yeah. can say yes or no. And there's it's, it's weird that there's a lack of sort of consideration as to who may say no, who may not get back to you, who may stand you up because that happens oh, oh, a nice yeah. chunk of the time. It does happen. I, I know all too well. Yeah, but exactly. I think it's just a part of it, too, is, you know, you and I are both sort of in an interesting pers- like we're kind of similar that we're both creative platforms. And, you know, I think people oftentimes look at platforms and they think there's certain responsibilities with it, which there are. And you yeah. do need to be open to considerations. But people also, I think forget the like genuine logistics of things at times like i had um this isn't necessarily really a race but it is kind of on the note of getting mean dms <laughs> uh, you know there was an artist i had met at art basil 
a couple of years back and he's a poet and uh, he does like street poetry. You know, it's, it's not necessarily my thing, but again, up's not just my taste. We try and cover everything. And we met at, um, you know, this dinner party or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I'd love to be in your magazine. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, like things are a little busy right now, but I'll, I'll hit you up in a couple months when we kind of get things figured out and we can we work some out. So, you know, fast forward a couple months later and I DM him. Cause I was like, Oh, we're looking to do an article on like, yeah, street poetry would be interested. Doesn't respond. I'm like, Oh, well, he's not into it. And then the next day he, he posts his Instagram story, putting uh, us on blast. And it's mm-hmm. like, they tried to cancel me now that I'm popular, you know, they just want to be part of my shine, but I can't give it. A, and it was like this whole thing. I'm like, dude, like what the fuck, man? It wasn't like, it wasn't even like a no, it was like, not I'm right now, right now. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And I think it's just, I don't know. To me, I think a lot of the people that do do those mean DMS and stuff like that, it's, it's stemming from their own insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't help someone with that. You know, that's that's a you problem you got to sort out. You know what I mean? And I feel like I try and be, you know, very on the level of people like, all right, you know, it's like, or even like today I did like this talk for a friend and, you know, I was kind of like, I'm, I got a podcast tonight, man. I can't stick around long. And he was like, no, please, please. And I was like, all right, I'll do it, you know, but, and, and that's because he's a friend and he, you know, we like, again, there's a lot of mutual support in the community and, you know, the graph guys in particular, they're they're very uh, like I feel like the community is even tighter knit than street art in some ways, and so you know I think to them it meant a lot that I kind of made the effort to come out and like all right for you guys you know you've helped me out in the past. It's Optima by the way, Optima NYC, super yes. talented artist. He gets up like no other. Um, but yeah, so like it's that. like yeah 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 you know, and so um, oh that's where the name up comes from by the way. A big part of the culture is getting up, which is to paint, and so that's where we got the name from. Is yeah um but yeah and and you know it's like people you know especially as we've gotten and we've grown and you know we've started to get kind of a a real following and starting to kind of you know become more than just sort of a local little hey we're covering stuff like you get a lot of hate and you know they always say that that's kind of a sign of success and but it does still bother me you know at times when someone just like is talking shit to talk shit you know and i've had artists where i've had disagreements and i've seen them at a show be like hey man like you know let's go have a cigarette let's let's talk and talk through it face to face um and i've been able to kind of resolve problems that way and you know sometimes not always something we're going to agree on but we can at least kind of have that communication uh but i do think the internet has made it really easy for people to kind of you know throw rocks and hide yeah. behind the you know the, the twitter or whatever you know what i mean that's the thing that, that i encounter on occasion and i'll see these same folks same circles and it's almost like oh why are you here now that's almost yeah. the energy that's there and you know like you, you won't get the context because i'm sitting down but i'm i'm six four i'm like a <laughs> large dude so yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like you know so when people see me they're like oh oh that's rob and then it's this sort of weird shift and you know, I'd rather just have the conversation, sort out whatever it is, because there's a lot of different moving parts. You know, yeah, an yeah. email can be missed. A, you know, conversation you may feel went really well and you post it and they may feel, oh, well, someone listened. They didn't like what I had to say. So I'm blaming you for it or or what yeah. have you. Yeah. And I can't account for that. But, you know, I think having the conversation is, is very important because and I think this was the thing I was trying to get to earlier. We, we don't really do nuance here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's the way that that culture is structured. But um, so I, w- I want to thank you for for all of your insights. This has been like just really cool and really dope. And what I want to do real quick is go into these rapid fire questions. I got four of them for you. Um, yeah. You know, brevity is key here as we wrap up. Uh, what is your favorite color? Uh, I would say indigo. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
what was the last book you read? Uh, I read, actually, I was trying to do my research. I read the magazine. It's this uh, basically a collection of different uh, articles about making magazines. Uh, I felt like I needed to kind of brush up on some of my basics. So it's always good to tap back in. Yeah. Uh, coffee or tea? Uh, so was a coffee man for a long time, started getting bad acid reflux. So now I try and tee it up, but I, you know, a little bit of both. It, I, usually I'm like coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. All right. Your, your boy might have a, um, a, a signature coffee coming out. So, you know, I have to send you a bag. That's very nice. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a whore for press. Uh, lastly, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite type of cuisine? Um, uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one, but I put top three as like Japanese, Mexican, and Thai. Uh, but Thai, I would maybe put at the top because, as I mentioned, I was living in Thailand for a while and um, I just got exposed to it. And, you know, I, it's funny because I used to be when I was younger, uh, I don't want to say closed minded as much as it was just like I was just a dumb suburban teenager. And so, yeah, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of things. And then travel like, opened me up. And uh, yeah, when I found Thai food, I was like, wow, this is like really fucking good. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, I want to thank you. Uh, for coming on um, and invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where they can check you out um, up magazine, all of that good stuff, social media, the floor is yours. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Rob. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, you know, it's always fun to be able to kind of share the story and keep it going, keep it up. Uh, you know, uh, I encourage you guys, uh, all the listeners here to check us out uh, on Instagram. We're up underscore underscore mag. Uh, our website is upmag.com. Um that's really it. I don't love social media. So we're, that's, I try and keep it to one, keep my sanity. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate the thoughtful questions. I hope I was able to articulate without too much rambling. I'm, uh, sometimes I just kind of shoot from the hip and, you know, I start talking and I just kind of have to follow where I'm going, but I appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate the time. And well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank TK Mills from Up Magazine for coming on and telling us what's up when it comes to street art, graffiti and creative urban culture. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture in and around your community. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm.